Good to see you. It's definitely good to be back with you. Uh, I'm so excited about uh, the decisions that have been made and the opportunity that has been given for me to come and to, to work with you this fall. Uh, it, it's amazing that uh, you, you've desired to take a chance on somebody who's in the training program and seek me out and uh, that you've, you've given me the opportunity to do this and uh, that, that you're being patient and allowing me to go through the rest of the training program really speaks to your seriousness and your devotion to the work that's going on here. Uh, and I, I really greatly appreciate uh, how hospitable everyone's been and friendly. Uh, it's, it's blown us away, your hospitality. Uh, we really do appreciate that very, very much. Uh, we're, we're excited to get to know you all. Uh, we're, we're open. If you want to add us on Facebook and, and see what's going on with us at, down in Florida, you're welcome to do that. Uh, my phone number was posted in the back. If it's not, I'll put it back up there. If you ever have any questions, Bible questions or anything, feel free to text me. Uh, call me, email me, whatever you want to do. Uh, I'll be happy to try to talk with you about that and help you out as much as I possibly can uh, until I get here full time. Um, we're going to be studying from Colossians chapter 3. If you want to be getting out your Bibles and turning there with me this morning. Uh, we've we just went through uh, some studies in Colossians, and you guys have as well, I think, in your Bible classes. So, uh, learned some very valuable things from this book, and I, I'm wanting to share those things with you. I'd like to start out reading the first four verses of Colossians chapter 3. Here Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. These first four verses are just packed full of so much amazing information about what God has done for us all and what God desires from us. The first two chapters of Colossians have, have explained a lot about who Christ is and what God has done for us through Christ. And here he, he transitions into what we're supposed to do by kind of reaching a crescendo and saying that Christ is our life. And when Christ who is our life appears, we will appear with Him in glory. Uh, it's just this beautiful picture that encourages us and that builds us up to know that Christ is our life. In Him we have life. And when He comes back, when He returns, we get to be with Him in glory uh, when this life is over. And this is the goal that uh, I want us to, to think about and focus on today. We're going to be studying two sections of Colossians 3 that follow after this. One this morning and one tonight. Uh, and, and just be understanding and thinking about what it means whenever He says what He says. As He, he tells us Christ is our life and, and that we have Him as our hope. He tells us two very important things. He says, set your minds on things that are above and he says, not on things that are on the earth. Because of what hope we have, because of all that God has done for us through Christ, these are the things that Paul wants us to do. He wants us to set our minds on things that are above, to seek the things that are above, and to not seek the things that are on this earth. 
as we continue to study, and, and we'll look at it in just a moment, verses 5 through 11 tell us about seeking the things that are on the earth and what that means. And then tonight we'll look at verses 12 through 17 and see what it means to seek the things that are above. Okay, So that's kind of the way that, that this day is going to go as we study together. I'm excited to study this with you. Uh, very important lessons are found here. What does it mean to seek things that are above? What does it mean to seek things that are on the earth? How do I do uh, one and not do the other? First of all, let's think about what it means to be earthly. What does it mean whenever He says, don't seek the things that are on the earth? Look at verse 5 of chapter 3. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator. Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. Now, when we think about what does it mean to be earthly, and what is it exactly that Paul is saying whenever he says not to set our minds on things that are on this earth, we find in this text that Paul tells us exactly what it means to be earthly, and he tells us what he wants us to do exactly whenever he says don't set your minds on things that are on the earth. Notice the way that he puts this in verse 5. He says, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Are Christians typically supposed to be a violent people? Is that really what we're supposed to be known for? That's not really the way we see Christ live. Whenever He comes to this earth, we don't see Him being violent and, and attacking anyone uh, whenever He's on this earth. He's mostly peaceful and gentle. A bruised, a bruised reed He will not break. But notice how he, he puts this, that Christians are actually supposed to be violent in one specific area. He says, put to death. Kill. Beat it to death. Choke the life out of it. And what is he talking about? What is earthly in you? This is a very strong statement from Paul that we're supposed to be killing what is earthly inside of us. Not that we're supposed to kind of say, hey, I don't like you, please get out of me. <laughs> but that we're supposed to say, you don't belong here, you need to die. And that we're supposed to put what is earthly in us to death. Wow! What an amazing phrase to say. Put to death what is earthly in you. Well, what does that mean? What is earthly in us? Well, he tells us that as we study through the rest of this text. He gives us two lists. And then he tells us a third thing uh, about things that are earthly inside of us that we must put to death. Notice the first list. He says sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness. Now, 
it's interesting that this is not the Ten Commandments. He doesn't go into the Ten Commandments here or anything like that, but what we have here is him starting off with a very blatant sin, right? Sexual immorality. The act of uh, involving yourself in any kind of sexual relationship that is not allowed according to God's rules about marriage and, and entering into that covenant relationship of marriage. He says this is the first thing that you need to put to death. Sexual immorality. It needs to die. And then he kind of goes into some more generic things. He talks about impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness. What do all these things mean? To be impure is just to lack purity, right? It's to not have the cleanliness, to, not, to be defiled, to allow for some evil thing or some bad thing to get inside of you. To have a passion is to have a drive for something. To have an evil desire is to see that the drive is evil. But covetousness is this interesting word that kind of summarizes all of this and helps us to see it all together. What, what is covetousness? Well, he tells us, which is idolatry. But isn't that an interesting way to describe covetousness? Which is idolatry? In the, in, the, in the Ten Commandments, what do we see? We see a command not to covet. In fact, he's very descriptive. Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet your neighbor's house. Don't covet your neighbor's donkey. Don't covet your neighbor's land. Don't covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't desire something that belongs to someone else that is not yours that you are not supposed to have. But then idolatry is the worship of a God that is not God. And here Paul puts those two things together and says all that covetousness really is, is idolatry. That's essentially what we're doing whenever we covet. Well, okay, so we don't covet things that are forbidden, right? That's, that's all that that talks about. Well, actually, when we think about coveting and understanding what it means to covet, we can actually covet things that aren't forbidden by, by desiring to have them in excess. And it goes to the idea of passion. That we have a drive for these things. That, that this is an evil desire that is uh, an idol that we've created. That is something that is going to provide us with all the fulfillment and the satisfaction that we really need in this life. That this thing, once I have it, I will be satisfied in the thing that I have, whatever it is. Well, what does, what does that look like? Well, I would, I would say that we can covet food. You might say, wait, we need food to survive. How can we covet food? Well, food is good, and it's made by God to be received with thanksgiving. Paul doesn't prohibit eating food. That would be bad. Uh, but Paul says that... We're coveting when we're desiring something more than we desire God, that it is our ultimate. So if food becomes our ultimate, if food becomes the thing that's going to provide us with satisfaction, then maybe I'm seeking to go to the next best restaurant and I'm thinking about that all the time and I'm planning my life around eating certain foods and, and having certain satisfaction of the ice cream and the desserts. And, and this is all that my life is about. That's when we go a step too far. And now we can think about that and see that, that that touches everything. We can covet fame. Uh, and we can become very proud and boastful in that. And we can think that that's going to be the source of our satisfaction, that we're popular, that everybody likes us. We can covet success. 
Uh, We can be selfishly ambitious in in succeeding in this life, thinking that if I'm the vice president, if I'm the president, then now I have reached the pinnacle and now my life is complete. I'm satisfied. I'm fulfilled. We can covet money, thinking the more we have, the more satisfied we'll be. And we can covet pleasure. And this is how we become a sexually immoral fornicator. We think that in that pleasure... We find satisfaction. We find fulfillment that is ultimately supposed to come to us from God, from His ways, and from what He provides us. We covet and we idolatrize the things that are around us when we start focusing on those things more than we focus on God. And ultimately, what are we doing? We're breaking the first command. We don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength because we love other things more than we love God. Thinking that those things are where satisfaction and happiness and and joy will actually be found. When what happens when we get those things, we're we're not satisfied, we're not content, and we're seeking for something else to fill the void. And God's saying, no, you're supposed to be satisfied in me. The second list He gives us is is found in verse 8, where He says, uh, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk need to be put away from you. The picture there is the same, that we're supposed to put to death, these are earthly things, we're supposed to put to death. And he starts out with anger. <laughs> what, is, what is that? How does that work? Put away anger? Put to death anger? Really? Well, notice how he talks about this. Now, anger is something that is an emotion that, that God has created, that comes in us, that can come out of us, and that is not necessarily bad in itself. But look at what can happen when we get angry. We can have wrath. We can have malice, and that is desiring for bad things to happen to other people. We can slander. We can use our tongues to speak negatively, to to harm other people. We can have obscene or offensive or disgusting speech against someone else. So we see all of these are, are coming out of our anger. And why do we get angry? Well, somebody mistreated me. (laughs) Typically is what happens. Whenever I get angry, it's because someone has spoken against something I'm doing or or tried to oppose me in some way or, or gone against me in some way. And I think that by getting angry, I'm now going to be able to punish them and relieve my anger or somehow control them that I might fix them and correct them. And that's typically what I found myself doing. So what do I do to correct them? Well, I let them see my wrath. (laughs) I, I, I speak out against them. I do something to harm them. But how does that work out for us? Does that really accomplish what we're trying to accomplish when we get angry and we let out our wrath on those around us, do they, do they really change? <laughs> and does this fix all of our problems? Well, no, most of the time it really doesn't. It doesn't really help us at all. But the world around us is telling us if we get angry, 
We need to let that out. Holding that stuff in is really bad for your health. So you just need to let it out and, and you'll feel better and you can get it off your chest. And they promote this idea of just releasing your anger on those around you so that it's not bottled up because that's bad for your health. But that's not really the biblical model that we've been given. Uh, the idea of being angry and then blowing up is not what we see Jesus doing the majority of the time. In fact, the majority of the time when people are sinning against Him, the majority of the time Jesus is responding with love. He's asking questions, trying to direct them and help them to see the truth. He's, he's letting it roll off His back, so to speak. Instead of keeping a reservoir of anger inside of Him, what we see Jesus doing is just emptying it, letting it go. Not, not letting the reservoir get filled up until I blow up and become this big hothead, but forgiving and letting go of the anger. Isn't that a better alternative than just expressing the anger? To just let it go. Our problem often comes that we want to balance the scales. We're seeking to, to have justice and to make someone get what they deserve. But Jesus understood that that's not what it's about. That there is one who will judge in the end and, and ultimately He didn't want any of us to receive that judgment so He died for us. This is the way that, that Jesus shows us to live. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and offensive or obscene talk go against the way of life. And, and those are earthly things. They go against the way of life of Jesus and they go against the way of life that God has commanded us. And the second greatest commandment, what do we see? Love your neighbor as yourself. So what Paul is really telling us here is uh, put away what is earthly in you because these things are keeping us from obeying the two greatest commands that God has given us. And then he adds this third thing in verse 9. He says, Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I'm faced with the fact that I'm being covetous or being angry, uh, my tendency is not to say, oh man, I'm, I'm being, look at me, I'm, I'm loving these things more than I should. What am I doing? I need to just kill these things. <laughs> my tendency is not to just accept the fact that I've got a problem, but my tendency is to deny and, and anger, I will justify, right? I will say it's okay for me to do this in this, in this case. And this is what we see the religious leaders in Jesus' day doing. That they would just lie. That they would just act as though they are perfectly righteous and good and, and, and justified in doing the evil things that they're doing against others and, and loving money, as the Pharisees were called, lovers of money. They were, they were feeling justified. Why? Because they were just acting like they didn't have a problem. And this is very simple and easy for us to all do. That, to think that we can hide it from men and somehow we're now able to hide it from God. And Why would we do that? Why would we lie? Well, we don't want to let those things go, right? <laughs> those things give us some level of satisfaction. Those things provide us with, even though it's temporary, they provide us with something that will make this life a little bit easier right now for us, even though we think at least. 
And they're, they're like our little pets. And we want to keep those things safe. And we don't want to let those things go. We don't want to kill those things. Because they mean too much to us. But here Paul is telling us we have to kill idolatry. We have to kill anger. We have to kill lying by putting off the old self. He reminds us here that, that we are not who we used to be. That, that the old self was put to death when we entered the waters of baptism from chapter 2. And, and chapter 3 verse 1 points to this. We were raised with Him. We've been raised and, and, the, and we've been put to death and we have died. The old self is, is gone. And so now we're not living the old way. But don't we feel that old self trying to come back, right? He just kind of creeps in. Every day there's this feeling, this desire, well, I could, I could really pursue this thing, whatever it is. And, and we just we go after it and we start thinking about it. Like, that's going to be sad satisfaction for me. That's going to be fulfillment. We let anger slip. We do all kinds of things on a daily basis that see that this old man is trying to come back to life in us. And Paul says, we have to kill him. We have to kill him. He, he must be put to death. These things can't be allowed to continue. We can't let our self-serving ways go on anymore because we died. Those ways got us spiritual death and we realize that and we don't want anything to do with that anymore. That's not the life that we want to live any longer. Well, also we notice that Paul gives us reasons why we must do this. Now, this is not an easy thing for us. Uh, putting to death what is earthly inside of us is not going to be an easy task. It's not going to be something that we're just going to be like, okay, well, today I'm putting to death what is earthly inside of me, and from now on it will always be dead. <laughs> so he gives us some motivations about why we must kill whatever it is that's, that's popping up inside of us. He gives us three motivations. First of all, he says, because the wrath of God is coming, in verse 6, on those who are disobedient. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Well, yeah, but we like these things. Well, the wrath of God is coming. Put them to death. The wrath of God is coming. You know, it's interesting how the world doesn't really take this idea seriously, do they? Someone were to go outside and say, the wrath of God is coming. Nobody would really think, well, okay, <laughs> That's, that means I need to change. Well, but Paul's making a very clear statement here. The wrath of God is coming. And it is justified in coming. Because think about what God has done. Not only has He provided us with this creation, not only has He given us every breath that we breathe and everything that we enjoy in this life, but He gave us His Son. And we murdered Him. I mean, the wrath of God coming is not unjust. And it's not wrong for it to come. It's right for it to come. It's, it's, it's amazing that it hasn't come yet. And here Paul says, we must put to death what is earthly inside of us because the wrath of God is coming on all those who live rebelliously against God. 
if we continue to break these two greatest commandments and we act like this is no big deal, like we can keep coveting, we can keep uh, dishonoring and, and hurting our fellow man, and, it, and we can keep lying about it, it's no big deal. Do we think that we'll avoid this happening to us? That the wrath of God will bypass us while we live in stubborn rebellion? Well, no. The judgment begins with the house of the Lord. And so even though we're going to slip and we're going to fail and we're not going to live perfectly, we have to seek to put to death the old man as we see these problems popping up in our life. We have to put to death what is earthly inside of us because the wrath of God is coming on those who are stubbornly rebellious. And we know that. But that's not the only reason He gives. A lot of people will say, well, I'm going to obey God because the wrath of God is coming. Well, that's not the only reason that He gives. It's a good reason, but it's not the only reason. It's true, but it's not everything. Uh, We know we won't escape if we rebel, but also we know that we have been made new. God has recreated us. This is the way that he talks about it. The old man was put to death and a new man was resurrected. Now what does that really mean? How is it that that we've changed? Does the outside change? Well, you know, I wish, you know. (laughs) The outside doesn't really change. Do all of our behaviors all of a sudden become perfect and wonderful and now I'm just like Christ? Well, no. But what changes inside of us is our heart Our heart changes, that that we're no longer desiring the things that we once desired, that we now having an understanding of who God is and what God has done, that we are now seeking to please Him and not to please ourselves. We've been made different. We've been made radically different from our old self just because of the heart change that's happened. You know, it may not happen in the first few months of becoming a Christian that we're totally different in all of our behaviors, but that heart change eventually becomes a life change in the Christian. And those of us who, who have known people in high school who, who didn't really uh, understand Christianity or anything, and then we meet them many years later and we become a Christian and we've been trying to live a life pleasing to God, they shouldn't know who we are. They shouldn't recognize who we are because we're radically different people. We're different on the inside and we're different on how we behave because of what God's Word has done to affect our lives. Now we live for His glory, not to serve ourselves. This is why we have to put those things to death because we've been given a new life with a purpose to live it anew, to live it for God. And then the third thing we see in verse 11, I'd like to read that again. He says... Here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. This third reason why we have to put to death what is earthly, and this is very interesting because we may not really think about it this way, but they certainly would have thought about it this way. Being earthly or being, uh, having the idea of being uh, earthly goes along with the idea of having identity on this earth. 
that we are identifying ourselves as Jews, as Greek, as circumcised, uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, that we are identifying ourselves as Southern, as American, as uh, you know, whatever it is that we were before we became a Christian, that we have this identity, that we are a member of this family, that we have this heritage, that we, we are associated with this group. And that at one time would provide us with some satisfaction But that's not really the case anymore. Here Paul says that we have to put to death what is earthly in us because we're not associated with those groups. We are Christ's. Christ is our all in all. Christ is everything. When we become a member of Christ's body, we are all lumped in the same group. We are all sinners who have coveted and who have been angry against our brother and we recognize that. And we have now all been forgiven of that and we have been brought to a state where our identity is not I'm from here and I have all this behind me, all these accomplishments, but our identity is Christ has saved me. And because Christ has saved me, I belong to Him. And He is everything to me. That's who I am. That's my identity. So this is why we must put these things to death. The wrath of God is coming. We are now a new people. And Christ is everything to us. If Christ is everything, then why would we be coveting after these other things as though they're going to satisfy? Christ satisfies. Being in Christ is what satisfies. So we talked about what it means to have what is earthly inside of us. We talked about why we must kill what is earthly inside of us. Now let's think about how we can put to death what is earthly inside of us. There's two steps, really, to doing this. And we need to understand it's not a very complicated or hard process, but it is, it is kind of difficult for us to actually follow through with. First of all, we need to recognize that this is a heart problem. We have to put to death what is earthly in us. Okay? So that that doesn't mean that this is a behavioral problem. We can't just think about, well, I do this wrong, I do this wrong, I do this wrong, I do this wrong, and just think about it that way. These are internal problems that we're facing. The covetousness that we have, the idolatry that we have, is not about buying new cars, new houses, thinking that that's going to satisfy. It's not about that. That's part of it. That's a symptom. But the problem is internal. Our heart is seeking what is earthly to provide us with the fulfillment that only God can provide. So by cutting off all these other things, the new houses, and trying to change all these outer things in our life, we're not getting to the root of the problem. It's like trying to kill a tree by chopping off the branches. You can even cut that thing off at the stump and a root's going to come up, a stem's going to come up. We have to de-root. We have to get to the bottom of it and we have to pull it all up in order to kill it. This is why Paul uses such strong language. We have to admit this is a heart problem and we have to take this very seriously and work to get rid of it. To have a violent attitude against it. Not thinking, well I can can allow this to go on just a little bit, but thinking, I need to rid myself of this. This This is not okay. This is not appropriate behavior for someone who has been blessed by God as I have been blessed. And if we admit that we've got this problem, we've won half the battle. 
We've won half the battle. This is a hard thing for us to do, to just to, to actually open up and say, yeah, I've got a real problem here. Whatever it is, the old man is creeping back into our lives. If we don't admit it, then we become hard-hearted toward those things and our heart won't change as it needs to change. And second, what we must do is submit to a renewal process. Look at what he says in verse 10. He says, "...and having put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator." Whenever we become new, we are entering into a process. This is not something that just happens overnight, but this is something that happens gradually as we study the Word of God. As we learn about who God is and what God has done, we are being renewed. Our heart is being renewed to to love Him more. And the more that we know about God, the more that we love God. As we understand who He is and what He's done, we are amazed that He would be willing to love me. He would be willing to send His Son to die for me. And that becomes all the more clear. We understand how great a sacrifice that is for for Him to do that because we start understanding how awful we really are and how undeserving we are. And so this renews us and strengthens us and helps us to put away the old man. We don't want the old man. We don't want these sins. We hate them. We want to put them to death because they don't satisfy like God can satisfy us. And as we understand more about ourselves, it becomes harder for us to to be unloving toward those around us. It's hard for us to be impatient toward those around us when we start realizing how messed up we are. I mean, I I can chew anybody out all day long if I I think I'm perfect, but if I understand how messed up I am, I'm probably going to be a little more reserved in, in doing that and acting out in wrath. This is a renewal process. That's that's what's great about it. That we are being transformed. As we open up His Word, as we learn who He is, we're being transformed to be more and more like Him and less and less like this world. And that's our aim. That's our goal. That's our desire in this life. Because He wants us to be like Him and He wants us to live with Him in heaven for all eternity. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. That's what our hope is. That's where we're moving toward when this life is over. So what we see as we look at this text that Paul wants us to kill off whatever is earthly inside of us to stop the rebellion if it's going on uh, and, and stop it by... Addressing the heart problem that's inside of us. We, we must love God more and know God more and stop loving these things that are in this world as much as we are. To be radically different. To die to ourselves that we might live for God. Is this your story? Is this your life right now? Is this the way that you're living? Are you pursuing earthly things or are you putting those earthly things to death? Have you, have you put on Christ to be renewed, to be a part of Christ's body, to have a home in heaven as Christ 
your life. If He's not, He can be today. You can receive the grace of God just like any and all of us can because we're, we're all sinners. We've all made horrible mistakes and ruined our lives and, and fallen short of the glory of God, but God loved us anyway. And He offered His Son that we might live for Him and stop living for this earth. That we might have a mind that's set on the eternal rather than the temporary. Is that you? If, if, it, if it's not you, but you want it to be you, we want to help you with that. And if there's anything we can do to help you with that, please make a change before it's too late. Please come forward as we stand and sing.